You know, it's interesting. Everybody's walking around basically in a daze. Like, what is going on really, you know? Uh, so that's the first problem. The second problem is the deterioration of the world. The world has deteriorated significantly. In fact, it's hard to believe the descent of the world into incredible irrationality, immorality, and just in general, the values of society is just beyond belief, you know. Uh, so that's, people wonder, what does all this mean? You see, because we've never seen, I mean, if you go back to Rome, these places, you know, there's a tremendous amount of deterioration at that time. But in terms of what's happening now, is beyond belief. You see. <clears throat> so uh, b before I begin, I just want to dedicate this year to a Rini Moko, uh, Rini Bas uh, Ruven Yosef. Uh, this the year should be an, uh, an alias neshama for her. In any case, now. <clears throat> So what I want to do tonight is clarify everything, you know, which is really a tremendous challenge because things are so off the wall, it's hard to clarify anything, let alone a tremendous look, you know. But my goal is when you leave here, you will understand the overall strategy of God. What exactly is God doing? Because make no mistake, behind all of this is God. Not that he chooses or he wants the world to deteriorate this way, no. But he allows it to happen because he has bestowed on mankind free will, you see. And by the, by the way, I really can't use the word mankind because it is a forbidden noun in America, yes. It's just beyond belief. Anyway, but I'll use it anyway, because I don't really care what America thinks. Anyway. And you're not in America. Right. Exactly. No, no, no. Israel is getting there shortly. But anyway, you know. So what is important to remember is this. You know, the information that I want to talk about, you know, what does it mean? So I give an example. It's a very good example of what this means. Imagine, uh, there's a, there's a three-star general, and he has a nephew, okay? And his nephew is a reporter for one of the papers. So he's talking to his uncle, the general, and he says, you know, I know what you guys are doing. Let's assume it was the Vietnam War. One of the wars, right? He said, I know what you guys are doing, right? And he tells them. So, the, so, well, the, the, his uncle, the general, he meets with his uh, nephew in a restaurant. 
And his nephew's telling him, I know what you guys are doing. I understand the strategy of the war, right? You guys think it's all hidden? Nah, not at all. So the general looks at him and says, I want to tell you something. Your problem is you get all your information from the New York Times. You have no idea, really, what is going on. But I'll do you a favor. Since I'm a three-star general, I'll take you into the Pentagon. So they go to Washington, D.C., or Virginia, wherever it is, and they go into the Pentagon. They take the elevator down seven flights. It's, a very, it's the largest office building in the world, by the way. And they take it down seven flights, whatever, right? And he follows his uncle, and they go into this humongous room. It's called the war room, right? And in the war room, there's a huge table of the particular theater of war. If it's Vietnam, it's Southeast Asia. And he says, come on, come over here. So he goes over, and he sees all these little what's called pushpins, you know, each one indicating a battle, right? Whatever, you know, part of the war, right? So the nephew's looking at him and says, aha, now I see what's happening. What I thought was a battle was really a diversion so that you could attack another place and they wouldn't be prepared. You see? So he says, now I see. In other words, if you want to understand what's going on, you need what's called the war room strategy or the war room perspective. That's what you need. You forget about the New York Times, right? Or the Washington Post or uh, Jerusalem Post here or Hamodia. Forget about that. The question is, what is the war room perspective? And the answer is the divine plan. It's really what it is. You know, if you want to know what's going on, you have to be familiar with the divine plan of creation, which is not only why God created the world, the universe, creation, but what is the objective of this entire program. And then you could try to match. Well, does this match the program? And if you do that, lo and behold, it does. That's what I want to tell you. And that's what I do. I don't read the New York Times or the Jerusalem Post, you know, just to maybe get a good, a good laugh. But that's about it. You see, this is the way you have to look. And therefore, what I want to do tonight is give you the war room strategy. What's really happening? Okay. Now, <clears throat> whenever you talk about Judaism or Hashkofa, which is what I'm talking about, you have to look into the Gemara. Because the Gemara, which is the oral law, is the source of everything. So let me tell you a Gemara, which you're going to find very interesting. In fact, not only is it very interesting, it is the secret of what is going on. Although you'd never know that from the Gemara. So you really have to be astute and perceptive. Here's what the Gemara says. It's in Sanhedrin. And the Gemara is talking there about the end of days. Here's what it says. Ein ben David bo, the Mashiach ben David will only come in a generation that is kulum chayobim, where everybody is guilty of sinning, or zakoim, everybody is righteous. That's what the Gemara says. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean everybody is sinning, but it means the overwhelming majority of Jews are sinning. So we can characterize that generation 
basically as a sinning generation. So that's one way to bring the Mashiach. The second way to bring the Mashiach is if everybody's righteous. Now that is a strange Gemara. We can understand if everybody's righteous, you bring the Mashiach, Ben David. Why? Because what's called the Tikkun process, the rectification process, has been accomplished. What is the rectification? To bring God back into the world. That's what we want to do. Bring God back into the world. Okay? So we can understand if the Jews have been successful, they have done the mitzvahs, they learned the Torah, right? The righteous. We understand that. Of course, that's how you do the tikkun. But you're going to tell me that the Messiah, the Mashiach comes, if basically everybody's sinning? It's incredible. What can that possibly mean? Good question. And the answer is, because if everybody's sinning, if mankind or Jewish kind has reached that level where the overwhelming majority is sinning, that's called the Memtes Shari Tumah, the 49 levels, right, of defilement, of Tumah. That's what it is. That's a bad place to be, as we will see. But that's what the Gemara means, you see. But why does the Mashiach come if everybody's in the Memteshai Tumah? And the answer is because when the world descends to the 49th level of defilement, God wants to press the restart button. That's what it is. Why? Because the 49th level of Tumah, of defilement, Pollution, sinning, whatever, right? The world cannot be sustained with that level of evil, that level of deterioration, and so on. That's the problem. So God is going to press the restart button. But the amazing thing is that Ben David is a restart button. The Messiah is a restart button. That's incredible. And I'm going to show you, demonstrate that. Okay? So we now have a very basic understanding. Now, the question is, are the Jewish people at the 49th level? Well, there was a study done out of London recently that estimated there are 15.1 million Jews in the world. How many Haredim are there? Now, it doesn't mean political party, Haredim, whatever. But it does mean how many Torah-observant Jews are there. Now, I don't know how they came up with this, but they estimated there's 2.1 million Torah-observant Jews. And they're probably right. That, that's all there is. I mean, really Torah-observant. I'm not talking about being traditional, where you observe two mitzvahs and the rest forget about. That's not called Torah-observant, right? And so on. 2.1 million Torah-observant Jews. That's astounding. If there are 15.1 million Jews and 2.1 is religious or Torah observant, that means 13 million Jews are gone. Gone. You realize what that is? It's unbelievable. It's really the end of the Jewish people. If not for God, who is going to interfere with this, the Jews are on their way out and so on, without going into all the reasons. 
the assimilation, the intermarriage, the unaffiliation. I mean, so much, the distractions, the smartphones, the internet, and so on, you see? They're gone. It's incredible. Now, this is what we see. Now, let's take a look, historically. <coughs> when was the last time, or I should say the first time, that the Jews ha were in the 49th level, not the Jews, but the world, were in the 49th level of Tumah, right? And the answer is the marble, the flood. I mean, they were pretty bad, you see? Now, what was the problem? Because there was an incredible amount of theft. Now, without, if, if there's a tremendous amount of theft, right, you, society cannot exist. And therefore, God says, I got to wipe them out. Why? It's not the sin that did it. It's because that type of sin does not allow society to, to exist. Can't. No private property. You know, a guy can walk into your house and take whatever he wants. By the way, it's happening in America and so on, which I will talk about. Right? So society can't exist, and God wants society to exist, to do whatever they have to do, their free will, and so on. So the God decided, I'm going to wipe out the planet. You can't believe, it's very hard to absorb that decree. Because he meant he's going to kill the planet. You have any idea how extreme that is? Right? But remember what I said. That's the restart button. Right? He's going to press the restart button, and he did. He flooded the planet. Noach, his wife and his kids and their wives, whatever. That was all that was left. I mean, how many people is that, right? You're lucky if there's 40, 50 people. I mean, everybody died. But the interesting thing, question to ask is, well, okay, that was the decree, and we understand, right? Why? But what sealed the Gezerah? Because... Many times God will issue a decree, but it can be changed. But when he seals it, right, it's over. It's like Yom Kippur, you know, Rosh Hashanah is the judgment, right? And the signature is Yom Kippur, right? But the seal is Rosh Hashanah and that's it. Anyway, what sealed it? It's an interesting question. That's a very important question. So the Medrash Rabbah, the great Medrash Rabbah, on Parshish Noach says, The seal of the decree to flood the planet, wipe out mankind, was because of this. Now sit tight, listen to this, because it's rather shocking. Here's what it says. If a man would marry a man, or an animal, they would marry animals. The guy would marry his pet dog, right? They would write a ksuba, a marriage document. What does that mean? That means it's one thing to do the sin, right? Homosexuality, bestiality, or bestiality, whatever I pronounce it, right? That's one thing. But when you have to write a marriage document, that's legalizing it. It's now legal, right? And it can be defended in court. Right? Well, my husband, and this guy's talking, of course, is the male wife. Right? He didn't give me what he said he would do it because that's what's written in the Ksuba. And the court will force the guy to do it. That's legalization. You see, that's what sealed the decree. The legalization 
of immorality. Because that type of immorality, the world cannot exist. That's what it is. And so on. No, no reproduction and it's over. Right? That sealed the decree. Very important idea. Good. So we now understand the model. We understand what sealed the decree, and we understand why they died. Memtesh and we also see the restart button. When's the next time we encounter 49th level of evil? Egypt. Right? Chazal tell us that Egypt, the Jews had reached the 49th level of Tumah. Now, obviously it wasn't immorality, on the contrary, but it was Avedizorah. There was such rampant Avedizorah that God was almost of secondary importance. Right? And God said, this cannot be, because if everybody is worshipping idols, then where do I fit into this? It's over with. Right? So God said, what do I have to do? That's the Memteshari Tumah, because of that sin. So God decided, I'm going to do what? Press the restart button. What's the restart button in Egypt? Right? He's not going to destroy the planet, right? Because he swore he would not bring a flood. So what did he do? He pressed the restart button. What is that? Moshe Rabbeinu. But wait a minute. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Messiah, isn't he? He is Mashiach ben Yosef, even though he's a Levi. He can be Mashiach ben Yosef without getting into that. So he presses the restart button, right? And all of a sudden, there it is. Moshe Rabbeinu, the Messiah, the Mashiach, arrives. It's incredible when you think about that. You know, what does this mean? He said Moshe Rabbeinu? Yes, <clears throat> because God decided that he does not want the Jews to fall into the 50th gate of Tumah. Because if they fall into that, they cannot be redeemed. It's over with. In any case, so therefore he said, I must end the program. And I'm going to send Moshe Rabbeinu. And he did. So Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Egypt and faces Paroi. And he says, let them go. God commands you to let them go. There you are. 49 levels, restart button. Same thing, except it wasn't destruction, it was the Messiah, and that's what it means. Ein ben David bo, in a generation that is kulm chayobim. The Jews in Egypt were kulm chayobim, 49th level of, of uh, defilement, and therefore Mashiach comes. Incredible when you think about that. But what happened, right? Moshe Rabbeinu tells Parai, let them go. What does Paroi do? Uh, not only does Paroi defy the Mashiach, but you realize when you defy the Mashiach, you also defy God. Because he's the ambassador. He's the agent of God, right? Uh, so Paroi defied. What did he do? He said, well, the Jews are lazy. What I have to do, what they have to do is gather straw. So not only do they have to do the bricks in the daytime, they have to gather the straw because that's, I think, what holds the mud together at night. Now remember, there's no flashlights in Egypt, right? Could you imagine at night at 3 a.m. looking for straw so you can make the same tally of bricks in the day? 
You have an idea what kind of suffering that is? And all the Jews had to gather this. You know, man, woman, and child. Why? Why did that happen? And not only that, that happened because the Mashiach caused it. If it wasn't for Moshe Rabbeinu, power would never have issued that edict. You see? So the question is, why? And the answer is a very important idea. Because when the Mashiach comes because of the Memtashari Tumah, what happens? <coughs> the great enemy of the Jewish people arises. Who is that? The Satan. And the Satan stands up, right? And he says in the heavenly tribunal, because there's a whole court case, right? And he says to the Rebbe look, you appointed me, and that's true, to be the guardian of justice. Be the Sadin. Justice, that's what my job is, right? So the Rebbe is not going to destroy the Satan. He's doing his job. So therefore, I understand you want to make sure they don't fall into the 50th. But you can't bring the Mashiach. You have an idea what kind of glorious day that is? It's the greatest day of mankind. The benefit is unbelievable. And you want to bring the Mashiach with 49 levels of Tumah? Come on. This makes no sense. This is a violation of justice. And you are the God of justice. That's what the Sultan said. Powerful, powerful prosecution. So what did Mosham say? Right? Because he has to abide by justice. That's his decree. Right? So he said to the Besden, he's right, and therefore, right, I have to satisfy justice. And then he won't taina. What is the satisfaction of justice? Right? There are not many ways to do that. But one of the most important ways of satisfying justice is suffering. Yes, Yisurin, but terrible Yisurin. Because he's got to bring all the Jews right up to the bar where they satisfy justice. Therefore, the incredible thing is God did two things. One is the decree of Pharaoh. That's why Pharaoh did it. Not that Pharaoh knew what he was doing. Of course he didn't. But God allowed him, or maybe put into his mind, whatever. They, the Jews must suffer terribly for months in order to raise or remove the decree of the Sultan. The Taina, the complaint of the Sultan. That's what he does. It's good. That's the whole concept of suffering as an atonement for the Jewish people and mankind and so on. And that's what God did. The second thing he did is he shattered the hope of the Jews. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, imagine the Mashiach comes and we're all saying, Okay, let's celebrate. We're out of here. And not only are you not out of here, it's much worse. Could you imagine the despair and the hopelessness of the Jewish people? It must have been unbelievable. You know? They would have to take mountains of Prozac to overcome the depression. Yeah, because how could you not? The Mashiach himself was confronted and he was defied. And he lost. Could you imagine the despair? And that's a whole other discussion, which I'm not going to do. I just gave the Shia Monday night on why it has to be despair in any case.
But this is what happened. So the Jews, can you imagine, they were broken. Not only broken, they had to suffer terribly for months. You see, why? Because God had to raise the level of Jews, right? In order to do what? To deserve the Mashiach. Now, of course, once justice was satisfied, right? Then he told Moshe Rabbeinu, destroy Egypt. And there you have the ten plagues, which wiped out Egypt supernaturally. You know, God could have just sent, he could have sent COVID. No problem, right? No, what's the big deal? Pandemic would have wiped out the whole Egypt. It did that many times. Take a look at the Black Plague, right? 1350, wiped out one third of Europe, maybe half of Europe, whatever, and so on, right? But he didn't. Because God had many ideas in mind. He wanted to demonstrate his awesome power and control of nature, which he did. It may just be unbelief. Imagine turning the Nile to blood. And this is real blood. That even the Blue Cross, right? You know, they could take from this blood. I don't know what type it was. But whatever it was, maybe it was type O, who knows, right? You know, it was real blood. Incredible. Now we understand what God does when he re presses the restart button of what? The restart button of the end when he brings the Mashiach to restart. That's a very important foundational idea. And this is the idea. Okay, we now have enough idea, understanding, to understand what's going on now, both in America and also in Israel. Got that? Okay. Now, on June 26th, 2015, was a terrible day. Why? Because the Supreme Court, five to four, issued a decree which never happened before. They puskened, as they say, they decided that what? That according to the 14th Amendment, the equal uh, the equal ju justice uh, for all citizens and so on, you cannot discriminate against gender marriage. Whether the, guy is, whether the ma marriage partner is a man, a woman, it's irrelevant. And that was the legalization of LGBTQ, the Supreme Court. But what's incredible is they made it constitutional. You know, forget about it, it's not just a law written to a law book. It's part of the fabric of the Constitution. There is no greater law than the Constitution in the United States. That's what they did. It's incredible. I mean, you cannot discriminate. If some guy wants to marry a guy, right? You can't discriminate. On the contrary, it's now legal. And in order to overturn something constitutional, you know, there are different ways. But one of the ways is to have the majority of the state legislatures Right? Pass an amendment to do that. Nobody, they're not going to do this. You see? So basically, right, it's permanent. That's what it is. And the Supreme Court passed that with five to four. And the one who was the fifth deciding judge, right, is Anthony Kennedy. And he has no idea what he's going to face when he dies in front of God. Because why? Because America is a beacon to the world. That's why. This is not just for 330 million people, right? 
But America is a beacon to the entire world. It's what it is. And the world will go after, they try to imitate America. And that's what's going to happen. America has corrupted the planet and destroyed it. In fact, if you think about it, America has now become marble, the flood, the generation of the flood. Isn't that why God sealed the fate, right, of the marble, of the flood? Because they legalized, remember? You had to write Xuba, legal, same idea. This is what happened. So God decided that he has to he's going to destroy America. It's an interesting concept, you see. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? Well, we know he presses the restart button, right? What's the restart button in America? Most people, what I'm going to tell you now, is not they're not familiar with this idea. And I will tell you what the restart button is. He began the messianic process on June 16th, 2015. Right. Yeah, I actually have a date. What is that? June 16th, 2016, 15. Wow. What is that? Right? And the answer is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is President of the United States. And on that day, he came down the escalator and he announced his candidacy. Now, you're going to look at me and say, what? Donald Trump? He's a guy. Give me a break. Right? It's impossible. No. You have to understand who he was or who he is. But what you really have to understand is the concept of Esau. And I will tell you, how many of us are there? Well, we generally think there are three of us. Zavrom, Yitzchok, and Yaakov. But if that's the question, or that's the case, I should say, why there are four Mors? Right? Sora, Rivka, Rochel, and Leah. Did you ever wonder about that? And was Yaakov lucky they got two wives? And the answer is no. Because there are really four of us, not three. Who's the fourth? There's Avram, there's Yitzchok, there's Yaakov, and there is Esau. Yes. Esau is the fourth of. And it's a long shear, right? Which I'm not going to go into, but I will tell you the main points. Esau is a koyach of an of. He has the neshama, like Yaakov Amino. It's hard to believe. That's what he is. And this is all of this I'm telling you is supported by Chazal. In any case, that's what he is. In fact, there's a Paneach Raza, who's a Rishon, who wrote a Sefer on the Chumash. He's a Rishon. He says that the Gematria of Esau is twice Yaakov. Yaakov with the Vav. And therefore, had Esau done his job, he would have been twice as great as Yaakov Avinu. You believe what that could you believe what that means? He would have been twice as great as Yaakov. What was his job? Yaakov's job was to bring down holiness. And that's why he was a Yeshiva Holam, a dweller of tents. He would dwell in the tent and bring down holiness, doing Torah and Mitzvahs and so on. The job of Esau was a Ishsoteh, to go into the field and subdue evil, remain righteous no matter what. And therefore, he would subdue the Satan, or all the evil. You see, that was Esau's job. That's why he's called an Ishsodeh. 
In any case, this is the job of Esau. And by the way, that's why they were twins, you see, because they were equal. For those who are a little Kabbalistically minded, Avram represents Chesed, Yitzchok represents Gevura, right? Yaakov represents Teferis, which is in the middle. But Teferis has a right side and a left side, because it's a middle. So the right side of Teferis is Yaakov, and the left side of Teferis is Esav. He really was an Av. Could have been greater. In fact, the Medrash says that had Esav done his job, then Yaakov would have had six tribes, and Esav would have had six tribes. Believe this? Yes. Would have had six Shvatim. Because he's half. In any case, so the story of Esau is the story of an Ov that failed and became a Russia. It happens because he had free will. Notwithstanding about the fact that Avram Avinu was his right grandfather, right? And Rivka was his mother. I mean, can you believe what a mishpacha he had? He became evil, terrible, you know? And he was a retzeach, a murderer, whatever, without going into the sins of Esau. You see, <clears throat> so God decided, wait a minute, I need somebody to take his place. Because there's somebody that has to do the job of Esau. Right? You can't just dismiss his job. Therefore, the one who did his job was Yaakov. He went piggyback. Yaakov had his own job, which is Yoshiva and Yaakov also took on the job of Esau to go into the world and battle evil. And that is why he left, right? Be'esheva, and he went to the house of Lovin. Exactly for that reason, to take over the job of Esau. Amazing story when you think about this. But anyway, uh, so we now have Yaakov Avinu doing this. Fine. But the interesting thing about it is that Yaakov Avinu can't do the job total. It's impossible. Because you need a different characteristics to fight evil than to learn Torah. And Yaakov doesn't have the characteristic that will enable him, right, to do Esau's job. Certainly not permanently, you see. So what Yaakov Avinu did, right, so what God did is he said, I have to give you somebody else that will do the other half of Esau's job. Who is that? Yosef. Most people don't understand who Yosef was. Yosef was a chatzi of, half a patriarch. And that's why he was able to have Menashe and Ephraim. A shevet, a tribe cannot give birth to another tribe. He doesn't have that type of neshama. But Yosef had, because he was a chatzi of. That's all I'm going to say about Yosef at Tzadik. And therefore, guess what? If Yosef took over the job of Esau, to go into the evil and fight it, now you understand why Yosef went to Egypt. Evil. To become righteous and to remain righteous. Anyway, that's just the beginning of the understanding of the whole Sefer Bracious. In any case, <clears throat> so this is uh, Yaakov and Yosef and so on. Now, Esau hated Yaakov. We know that. For what he did. Right? He hated him. In fact, in Vayishlach, Esau is coming to meet Yaakov Avinu with 400 guys to kill him. In fact, the the angels, real angels, tell this to Yaakov Avinu. So what does Yaakov do? He prays, he does several things. What happens? So Esau meets Yaakov, and instead of killing him, right, he kisses him. The Torah says this. Not only he kissed him, 
But he said to him, Yehilichoshaloch, let that which is yours be yours. And Rashi says that this Pusik means, let that which is yours be yours, meaning that you can keep the blessings. I'm okay with that. That means Asaph was doing tshuva. That's what it means. That Asaph was right at the doorstep of repenting. You see. Now, what Yaakov should have done is realized that Asaph is about to do tshuva. Wow, could you imagine the repercussions? Because from Asaph came who? Edom. From Edom came Rome that destroyed the base Amigdash. And Rome became Western civilization. And Western civilization became Christianity. Could you imagine how many Jews died in Christianity? In any case, that's what Yaakov should have realized. But he didn't. What should he have done? He should have given him Dina. And he took Dina and he hid her in a chest. Right? Why Dina? Because Dina was no ordinary woman. She was one of the first ones in Kirov. You see? When it says that Dina went outside, right, to look at the Benoist Canaan, doesn't mean she went out to check out the dresses, the styles. She went out to do Kirov. You see? Uh, so therefore Dina was called the Yatsonis. Dina was a very strong, dynamic girl. And had she married Esav, she would have finished him off. He would have done tshuva. Yeah. And, but Yaakov did not realize that. So instead of giving a Dina to Esav, he hid her in a chest so Esav shouldn't see her. You see? And God appears to Yaakov. Actually, there was a bascal that came out. This is how we know. Where God says to Yaakov, or about Yaakov, because you did not give her to Esav, she will be abducted by Shechem and taken forcibly. It was an unish punishment. God expected Yaakov to realize that Esav was about to do tshuva. He didn't. Because Yaakov never gave him Dina. Right? Now, so what happens? So Esav, of course, returned to his evil ways. That's what happened. So the Rabbanu says to Esav, because you wanted to do tshuva, but Yaakov missed the signs, that's what we see, in the end of time, you will do tshuva. Try it. I will let you do tshuva in the end of time. What does that mean? What is the purpose of Esav? To assist the tikkun process. Right. So uh, when Esav failed, was he still involved in the tikkun process? And the answer is yes. Because Yitzchak told him, if the Jewish people sin, you will persecute them. You will punish them. When he gave the blessing to, right, a blessing to Esav. Why? Because you will provide the atonement for the Jewish people. That's assisting the tikkun process. You're providing the suffering, right? And they are atoned. But the real job of Esav isn't to provide atonement for the Jews. That was only because he sinned. He was a sinner. The real job, as it says in the prophecy that Rivka got from the house of Shem Ve'eva, right? What he really should have done is assist the Jews. Rav Yavoy Tzoir. The older will serve the younger. That means Esau will help Yaakov do the tikkun, because that's his job. So therefore, not through suffering, but helping him do the mitzvahs, you see? But that never happened, because Esau became a Russia. 
But in the end of time, it will happen. That's the promise, you see. <clears throat> and there are many allusions to what I'm telling you. One of them, which is interesting, because there are animals, right? Actually, four of them. The chazir, ham, pork, right? It's got split hooves, but it doesn't chew its cud. And therefore, it's not kosher, right? That's the, the, the pork, right? In the end of time, the Gemara says that pork will become permitted. Now, pork represents Esau. There are four animals. Each one represents an interesting nation. And the chazir, which is pork, represents Esau. So why will pork become permitted? Right? Because Esau does tshuva. That's only one of the illusions that you see what's going on. In any case, in the end of time, Asa will do tshuva. Amazing. Because he wanted to do tshuva, but he never had the incentive enough. So God says, I will restore you, right, to assist. Not that you'll become an of again, but you will assist Yaakov to do the tikkun, his descendants, and therefore you will get unbelievable reward. Therefore, Esau, this will happen only at the end of time, right before the Mashiach. Remember? So therefore, on June 16th, Donald Trump comes down. Who is Donald Trump? Donald Trump is a reincarnation of Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, who loved Rebbe. The Gemara tells you stories of the Roman Empire, Emperor Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. He wrote a book called Meditation. You know, he was a very bright guy. He loved Rebbe. The Gemara has a whole bunch of stories. In fact, Rashi brings him down, Antoninus. You know, that when it says there will be two great nations, one is Yaakov and the other is Rebbe and the other is Antoninus. Rashi says this in the beginning of Toldus. Anyway, so Antoninus was a Roman emperor. A president of the United States is a Roman emperor because America is Esau, you see. Because the Gemara, the Torah says, Esau zu Edoim, right? And the Gemara says, Edoim zu is Rome. Who's Rome today? Western civilization. And who is that? Christianity, right? And there are three parts of Esau. It's important to know because Esau had three characteristics. The arrogance of Esau is communism, is Russia, without going into it. The deceit, the deception, the fraud is Europe, and that's Christianity. Because Christianity says, turn the other cheek, but they don't tell you it's your cheek that they turn. Right? And who is the good part of Esau? The taiva is America. So America is really the good part of Esau. You see? That's why God is so much behind America. It's a long thing to talk about. But anyway, Trump is the president of the United States, and he announces 10 days before the Supreme Court, right? God presses the restart button, and that's Donald Trump. It's just fascinating. There's a great deal. Now, about a month after he announced his candidacy, I realized who he was. Whatever. And I knew he would win. And I gave Shurim about that, and everybody thought I was crazy, right? Because nobody could believe it. He was what's called the comic relief, right? Of the people running for president. I mean, he ran against 16 
you know, heads of state, senators. I mean, it was impossible to win. But he won, and I knew he would win. Why? Because America forgot one thing. The only vote that counts in America is God. Everybody else is irrelevant. And I knew that he would win because he's ace of doing tshuva. And I said that he would be of unbelievable assistance to the Jewish people. Because that's ace of doing tshuva. Was he? Of course. He's the greatest president in the history of the United States to assist Israel. Right? The embassy gets moved to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is now the capital. Israel is recognized as a state. Then he does the Golan. Then he does the Abraham Accords. I mean, it's incredible what this guy's doing. You know? Because he loves Jews. You don't realize. He loves Jews without getting into why and so on. In fact, I'll tell you something. He went over to Ivanka and he said to her, I want to become Jewish. So Ivanka said, you can't become Jewish. So Trump said, why not? Because she said to him, listen, if you become Jewish, who am I going to sell my chomets to? <laughs> uh, yes, he loves Jews. Why? Because that's what he is. He's Rav Yavoyt Soyer. You see? And God started him off 10 days before the Supreme Court issued their rule, which meant America is now equal to the flood. They legalized immorality, sexual perversion, and so on. And it's getting much worse than it is now. Much worse. You're going to have cases where incest becomes permitted. I don't want to go into that. But America has become incredible. You can't even say he or she. You can't use pronouns anymore. I mean, it's like uh, the, the patients have taken over the insane asylum. But that's basically what it is. In any case, this is what's happening. <clears throat> so therefore, Trump is really the restart button. But Trump is not a messiah. But he is a messianic figure who is ace of doing tshuva in the Gilgal form. You see? It's really what he is. In fact, if you look at him, his head is red. He wears red ties. He's got a red complexion. I mean, like, 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 like Asaph. So somebody once said to me, wait a minute. You know, you know he's a Baltaiva, which he is. He's a Balgaiva. Okay. So, you know, why is he, well, you know, what's the tshuva? He said, you don't understand. He has those characteristics of Asaph, because that's really who he is. But he's an honest guy. He doesn't have the fraud of Asaph. That's the difference. And that's the tshuva of Esau. Anyway, there's a great deal. I'm skipping, but that's fine. So that's what God did. Press the restart button. Okay? And let Trump... And Trump was incredible. What Trump did for... Uh, what he called uh, for Israel. Right? He would have completed the Abraham Accords. He didn't. So all of a sudden, what's this problem here? The Sultan. Right? You remember what I said? When God presses the restart button, right? And all of a sudden, Mashiach, the Sultan gets up and says, wait a minute, they don't deserve the Mashiach. This is ridiculous. You can't bring the Messiah now, right? That's the question. Now, could you imagine this? We're in heaven after all this, right? So the Sultan is up there. And he's saying, wait a minute, I can't do this, right? Come on, there's no Midas Adin. What's the justice in this? You're going to bring the glorious ear of the Messiah? Ah, 
Right? That's what the Sultan says. So God said, you're right. I have to stop Trump. Right? Just like he stopped Moshe Rabbeinu. Same thing. So the angels, of course, say, what do you mean? You, how are you going to stop him? You can't stop Trump. The economy is fabulous. Right? You can't beat this guy. He's all his edicts. Right? The inflation was 1.4%. And now I hear today it's 9.1%. Right? The inflation, right? The oil is like, what, $2 a gallon? Now you can stop this guy in the economy, but he's got a job. Right? It's impossible. So, of course, God looks at them and says, Excuse me, I'm God. Watch what I do. What does God do? He brings COVID. Why? <clears throat> you know, what's interesting is this. Biden, he becomes a senator, if I remember correctly, in 1972 from Delaware. It's typical of Delaware. But in any case, right? He's 1972 and he's a senator for 36 years. I mean, who doesn't dream about this, right? Not only that, Biden is not only a senator for 36 years, he's a vice president for eight. Not only is he a vice president for eight, right? He's president. He, he has accomplished what every politician dreams of, right? The amazing question is, this is impossible because Biden was voted the dumbest guy in the Senate. <laughs> Not only that, he was voted the dumbest guy in his law class. He plagiarized. I mean, there you guy, everybody knew this guy's the dumbest guy around. I mean, he was normal, but, but any, any kind of allusion to brilliance, forget about that. The question is, how in the world did he survive? To become the Senate, right? Which is a very prestigious office. And then he survives to become the VP, right? And the, then the president. You see? How? That's the question. Right? And you now know the answer. Because God made him survive. Why? Because God needs a guy like Biden to destroy the United States. That's why. God is an amazing being. You see, he's like a chess game. You know? You ever wonder a grandmaster, for instance, of chess, how far can he see ahead? You know, the other guy moves a pawn, right? These guys can see way ahead of the repercussions of that pawn. So I once read that a grand chess master can see, figure out the probabilities of 15 moves. Imagine that, because these guys lie in it, right? 15 moves. God can see a hundred million moves ahead. In fact, he does something 800 years ago that he will need 800 years later. That God does that. So he needs Biden. So he kept him alive. He kept him prestige. He kept him what? In politics. And he gave him success so he should stay in politics. Why? Because God needs Biden. Why does he need Biden? Right? Because God needs a puppet. That's why. And this kind of guy is a puppet. Of who? Of the evil of Esau. 
Because America is the evil of Esau as well as the good part of Esau. It's a war. That's what you're looking at. It's called the Rasha Esau and the Tovshe Esau. Who is the evil of Esau? The Democratic Party. They are the evil of Esau. They, the progressives, the liberals, right? The incredible evil, whether it be anti-Semites, right? Anti-values, what it's called gender fluidity, and now they're saying everybody can, you no longer forget about your biological gender, you decide whatever you want, you see? So he needs a guy like Biden, who will be a puppet to the Democratic Party. So he kept him alive. He gave him success. And this guy's the dumbest guy in the Senate. Could you believe the power of God? Yeah, we don't realize that. And now is the perfect time when the Sultan is saying, wait a minute, you can't do this stuff, right? Give him to bring the Messiah or begin the Messianic process. See, God, don't worry. I got my guy in, you know, waiting in the corral, right? And that's Biden, right? So the angels say, what do you mean Biden? He's the dumbest guy in the Senate. How are you going to get him to be president? It's incredible, right? He can't be president, a guy like this. And not only that, you're looking at the record of Trump. Impossible to beat him. So God brings COVID. And COVID did four things. Actually, did more than four things, right? Look, look at what COVID does. It allowed Biden to campaign from his basement. That's what. Nobody realized how bad off he is, how cognitively challenged this man is, because he's just in his basement. The guy didn't go out. It was unbelievable. The guy campaigns for the United States presidency from his basement? Not only that, it allowed Biden to lie. You can't catch him, right? How are you going to check up on him? He's in his basement. And it allowed him to blame Trump for COVID deaths, which of course is false. Right? Then besides that, it destroyed the economy. This is the signature of, of Trump, that he could have won. But there's no economy. Everybody's, there's no jobs. All the stores are closed. You know what it's like in Israel. It was worse in America. It was unbelievable. And the fourth thing it did is allowed mail-in ballots, where they cheated. Because now everybody wanted mail-in ballots because they were all afraid to go to the polls because of COVID. This is what COVID did. Right? I mean, there are other ideas of COVID. But it allowed this man, who is completely incompetent, in fact, really, he's a moron. I hate to say this because he's a president, but he's a moron because he could change the whole fabric of America overnight. Yes, he can. Very easy to get rid of the inflation and so on. But he doesn't care because not only is he a moron, he's a Russia. I'm not even talking about the bribes that he took from China, from Moscow and from Ukraine, where he openly bragged, right, that he bribed Ukrainian government, which anyway is the most corrupt government in the world. In any case, right, uh, which is really, when you think about that, incredible. But it enabled him to become president of the United States, you see. And besides that, what also did Trump in, which he really shouldn't have done, is his character. Mm -hmm. But the problem is Trump's competence is incredible. But everybody looked at his character. Now, that's what Trump is. He's a defiant person, which makes him incredibly eligible to be president because he's defiant. And the establishment hates him because they're all afraid of him. 
They know when he, you know, uh, when he gets up there, he's going to wipe them out. And that was his mistake. He underestimated the power of the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton to destroy him, and they destroyed him. Anybody who follows the news knows that Hillary got him impeached twice because she, she hired the guy with the dossier without getting into the whole business. And the whole government, the FBI, the CIA, the NHI, the uh, National, uh, what do you call it, Security Administration, the NSA, and so on, and the White House, they are as corrupt as you can come, you see? So together, because they're all liberals, right? So the Democratic Party is the evil of Asov, which is trying to destroy the good part of Asov. There you are. You see? <clears throat> this is what's going on. So God put in Trump, and excuse me, put in Biden. It's amazing. But Biden, and what's Biden doing? Destroying the United States. The inflation, right? The southern border is being destroyed. Two million illegals coming in, right? And what's even worse is fentanyl is coming through that border. 120,000 people die every year from fentanyl. Yeah, but Biden is allowing it in because of the cartel. They all come in with this fentanyl, you know? It's astounding. It's hard to believe that this is actually happening because you can't even make this stuff up. Biden on one side keeps saying, well, right, uh, you know, uh, they, they, some guy in Buffalo shot it up, and in Texas, you got to save lives, and you've got to have gun laws. What's he talking about? 120,000 people die every year because of you, because you let the guys in on the border. So now you're a tzaddik? You're a murderer. That's what he is, because he has the power, right, to change it. He can stop what's coming in the border. So on one side, he's a tzaddik. He's concerned about the 11, 12 people who died in Buffalo, and also, which is tragic, of course. And on the other side, he doesn't care 120,000 American citizens die from fentanyl, right? And what about the crime in the cities? In San Francisco, you can go into a store and you're allowed to steal up to $1,000. What does that sound like? Sounds like the marble, right? Theft. And they won't prosecute you. They won't even arrest you. You see? That's why San Francisco is called Toilet City. Because that's what's happening there. You see? The homeless and everything, the homeless, the drug addicts. San Francisco used to be a beautiful city. It's one of the worst cities in the United States. And crime is all over the place. All over the place. Right? The, these are the Democrats and so on, you see? So, when you, and the oil, there's no oil anymore because Biden put a halt to the whole oil process, right? He's destroying America. The inflation, you know, you go into a grocery store, it costs a fortune. For what? You see? And all of it is because there's no oil, and therefore the delivery trucks don't have the oil, so they charge you double to deliver. I mean, it all goes back ultimately when Biden said the day he was president, he defied Trump and the, and the fact that, you know, oil can be cheaply made in the United States. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But the main thing is Biden is destroying the United States. It's hard to believe that in one year, this man has changed America, and you cannot even recognize it. You see. So for those people who live in Israel, right, thank God. Although Israel also has a lot of problems, which I will talk about, and so on. In any case, and this is Biden. Very important idea. That's, what, uh, that's how God is answering this something. It's interesting. You're right. Uh, that's what's happening uh, in terms of America.
you know. <clears throat> now, let me mention, and this is continuing. What is the good news? The good news is that this is Xerah, just like Moshe Rabbeinu. It is the Xerah of straw, right? Same thing, to satisfy justice. But when justice will be satisfied, it's over. And that is the beginning of the messianic process. It really is. That's the good news. Now, is it over? Yes, it's ending. Because Biden is collapsing in the polls. He's now down to 35%, whatever that is, right? He's doing terrible. They're expecting a red wave. They're going to slaughter the Democrats, you see, in November. Because everybody realizes this is the end of America, right? America, you can't even say he or she, you know? I always say that this is brilliant on the part of the evil of Esau, the rush of Esau. You know why? In the time of the Mabel, if a guy was a homosexual, he likes guys, right? So, okay, it was legal, right? But he admitted he was a homosexual. Yes? Fine. But in America, you're not a homosexual, even though you're a man and married to a man. Why? Because you say you're a woman. Think about that. In America, you could say, I'm a woman. So you're not even a homosexual. You realize that they've removed the stigma of being homosexual. It's brilliant. That's what they've done. That's how bad America has become. And if you think that's bad, right? <clears throat> First, they kill the kids with abortions, right? So they murder them, right? Then if that's not enough, when the kid is born and goes to kindergarten, they give him books to read, Johnny Loves Jack, right? Or it, 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 it espouses homosexuality or gender, what they call gender fluidity. That on the contrary, they tell kids, change your sex. What's the problem here? Imagine telling that to kids. And then when you finish school, high school, you go to college, colleges are filled with rabid leftists. All the professors are left, right, progressive, communist. It's incredible how they will hound you if you're a conservative. So you think about that. Whatever happened to the educational system? That's why over a million people have pulled their kids out of public school. Imagine having your kid learn this. This is the deterioration of America. Why? Because of the Democratic Party, a very evil party. And their man, the puppet, is Biden. That's why he's president of the United States, for no other reason. You see, and God is satisfying justice. It's basically what he's doing. The good news is that Biden is collapsing in the polls. They're predicting a red sweep of the Congress, House and the Senate, and they'll be able to make Biden a lame duck president, right? And as far as I'm concerned, Trump will run again. In 2024, but I want to tell you something. This time, he's not going to make the mistake. He's going to come out, as they say in Texas, with both guns blazing. Amen. That's what he's going to do, because he realizes what they did to him. They trumped up charges, so to speak, about what? Nothing. And when anybody listens to the charges that they did, you have to laugh at this. And this January 6th, they are desperate to put him in jail to defame him, say he won't win. You know why? Because they know he learned his lesson. And there's one thing about Trump, which is an incredible characteristic. He is defiant. He is defiant. 
He'll come after you. And he learned his lesson. So he's going to wipe out all those people that put him in jail. And I'm talking about the Democratic Party. He's going to go after Hillary, good old Hillary, right? Uh, he's going to go after the, uh, the leftists and the liberals. All these people, the FBI, right? He's going after the CIA, the NSA, the, the, the intelligence division. Or he's going to go after what's called the secret state. That's how it's referred to him. Uh, you see, and they know that. And they are deathly afraid when he becomes president. Because he's going to get even. That's what he's going to do. Therefore, America still has to suffer. It's not over. But at least the worst part of it, hopefully, will be over in November. It's only about three or four months. So that's the good news, that the decree seems to be ending. Very important idea. Now, <clears throat> this brings us up to date. A word about Ukraine from your sponsor. Uh, I want to tell you something. I mean, it's just astounding to watch. Ukraine is a very corrupt place. More than that, it's, they hate Jews. 65% of Ukraine is anti-Semitic. They were worse than the Nazis, right? In Babi Yar, when they were killing 33,000 Jews in one day. Who did it? The Ukrainians. In fact, the Nazis told the Ukrainians, you know, we like what you're doing, but you're disorganized. Let's help you organize. But the Ukrainians is what killed them, okay? It is a very evil country. I don't care what you say. They have been killing Jews ever since Khmelnyky, Baden Khmelnyky, in 1650, 48, the Khmelnyky massacres, right? They have been killing Jews. In fact, Khmelnyky massacre, who was a Ukrainian, they killed over one-third of European Jewry, the pogroms. That's how many Jews died under this Ukrainian. And by the way, there's a statue, as far as I know, of Bogdan Khmelnyky in Kiev. Interesting. Uh, now, what I find interesting is this. Zelensky, right? Zelensky, the world considers him a hero. The man is a moron. He's an idiot. And any other epitaph you want to apply. Why? The world considers him a hero, I will tell you. What did Putin do? Putin didn't threaten the sovereignty of Ukraine. He said to Ukraine, don't join NATO. I don't want missiles, because that's what happens if you join NATO. I don't want missiles in Ukraine, which is right next to Russia, pointed at me. And he was right. Why? Because Kennedy did the same thing. Uh, if you remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, Khrushchev sent missiles to Cuba. So what did Kennedy do? He said, if you bring these missiles to Cuba, I'm going to bomb those ships. Because I don't want any missiles in Cuba pointed at the United States. That's called the Kennedy Doctrine. That's exactly what Putin said. I don't want missiles pointed at my country. He didn't threaten the sovereignty. So what, what Zelensky should have said, okay, imagine you're in a room and there are two doors. There's a door that is being guarded by an 800-pound gorilla. 800 pounds. You're not going to go fight with the gorilla. What, are you crazy? You check out the other door, right? So what he should have done, Zelensky, he said, okay, I'm not going to fight with Russia. Russia's got 5,000 ICBMs, you know? You can't fight. It, it, it basically, even though they've ruined their reputation, right? But they're basically invincible. 
They can wipe you off the map in one day, right? And he never threatened their sovereignty. So why are you warring with these guys? Because he wants to be a hero. He destroyed Ukraine. The president of Ukraine destroyed Ukraine. It's unbelievable. For what? He should have said, okay, I won't join NATO. I'll wait till Putin is gone and then I'll do it, right? But you don't fight with Putin because we know Putin is a very dictatorial person, right? He destroyed Ukraine. It's called payback. The Russian is destroying Ukraine. And the amazing thing is the, what's called the poetic justice. Who is destroying Ukraine? A Jew. And they're the ones who kill the Jews. It's amazing what the Russian is doing. Right? That's what he's doing to Ukraine. You see? But in order to make sure that there won't be a backlash against the Jewish people, because a Jew is destroying Ukraine, hundreds of billions of dollars have been wiped out in Ukraine. So he made the world think that Zelensky is a hero. No anti-Semitism. On the contrary, uh, everybody admires Zelensky. And that's Hashgokho. Or else there would be a tremendous rage of anti-Semitism. Which there isn't. On the contrary, they're probably going to give him the Nobel Peace Prize. Or whatever they're going to give him. But really, he destroyed Ukraine. You know what it is to do? 10 million people have fled Ukraine. It's the greatest emigration in the history of mankind. What happened to Ukraine. You know? <clears throat> and the other, 44, well, the other 34 million Ukrainians, they live in a country that looks like a... World War, you know, it looks like, uh, what was the name of that city? Uh, Dun not yeah, Dunkirk. Dresden. Dresden, thank you. Dresden after the war. That's what it looks like, uh, you see. But in any case, so that's Ukraine. It's called payback. And also, it's interesting also because it, uh, the Russian seems to want to remove Putin. And Putin is now persona non grata. He's finished, you know, because he's destroying Russia, the economy and so on. And that the world will have nothing to do with this guy. But you really never know about the world. Because they're very easily bribed. In any case, <clears throat> this is the concept of Ukraine. Now, at the same time you have the Xero, right? Against America. Edoim. Esav. You have the same Xero against Israel. Same thing. Because the Sultan says, well, who's the Mashiach for? It's for the Jews. They don't deserve it. You see, not only is 13 million Jews gone, right? But take a look. Most Jews in Israel, tragically, are, 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 are irreligious. Even if they, they happen to be traditional. You see, now we don't know the weight of the sins of Israel. We don't know. But look who rules Israel. Lapid. It's the Erev Rav. These guys hate religion even if they say they don't, but they do. They don't want to be told what to do by Jews, by religious Jews. They don't want the Torah. 1.5 million kids in the public schools in Israel, and there's hardly any Jewish education. They know anything. If you said Shema Israel, most of them could never finish the statement. Imagine that. 1.5 million kids know nothing about Judaism, basically. You see? And not only that, the last government was the worst government war against Judaism. They wanted to change Shabbos, right? Conversions, right? They want to do it. They want the reform movement to have legitimacy, right? And, and also not in conversions, 
but also education, kashrus. It was a war. In fact, that's what they say. It's the worst government in Israel history to defy Jewish practices. For what? Because they're all the heir of Rav. And the amazing thing is, right? And they had made Israel suffer. But what's so interesting is just like Biden is collapsing, this government collapsed. So it would seem maybe uh, that the Gzair is over. Now we don't know what's going to happen. And I find it fascinating that the elections in Israel, which is November 1st, is almost identical to the elections in America because it's the same Gezerah, the same decree, you see? And hopefully what that decree is, is to end the onslaught against Torah, right? And to begin the real process of the Messianic era. Very important concept, you see. Now, <coughs> so that's the, so far, that's the gist of what's happening. But, you know, I, I want to end on a good note, you see. It says in the Posik of Nitzavim, a very strange Posik, but it's going to happen, because God is speaking. God says, even if you're outcast, it's in Pashas Nitzavim, even if you're outcast, be at the ends of heaven, right? Ends of heaven. We know. There's a Jew who owns a grocery store in Tahiti. Jews are all over the planet. It's astounding how 15.1 million Jews are spread throughout the planet. So God says, even if your outcasts are at the ends of heaven, which is a prediction, that's exactly what's going to happen at the end of time. They are going to be at the ends of heaven, right? So it says, Misham, from there, Yikabetzcha, God will gather you. Amazing. From there, means God is going to go into the Golos itself <coughs> and redeem the, and, and gather the Jews, which means he will separate the Jews from the Goyim. Then it says, Umisham, and from there, he will take you. What does that mean? That means God will elevate the Jewish people in Torah. That's what it means to come close to God. He's somehow going to change the ignorance, the status of ignorance among the Jewish people. Now, we don't know how this is going to happen so far. And then it says, and then he's going to bring you to Eretz Israel. Isn't that amazing? Uh, this is God's prediction in the end of days. He's going to come and get us, just like he did in Egypt. He went into Egypt with Moshe, and he slaughtered the Egyptians, and he's going to take them out, which he did. He's going to do the exact same thing in the Golas. This Golas is going to end supernaturally. We have no idea of how it's going to happen. And I would like to give you a real scenario how I think it can happen. How? Well, here's the way it is. Jerusalem. There is a Jerusalem in heaven. We know that. Just like a Jerusalem here. There's a base Amigdash in heaven. Just like there was a base Amigdash here. Right? <clears throat> what is the third base Amigdash? What is it really? And we know it says that God is going to build the third base Amigdash. So one day when I wake up, and there it is. Third base Amigdash. But what is it? It's not merely a base Amigdash. <clears throat> the base Amigdash in heaven that corresponds to this base Amigdash. Right? Could you, just like this Beis Hamikdash here, has an incredible amount of divine presence, the Beis Hamikdash Lemaila in heaven has an awesome presence of God 
the Shekhinah, because the base of Megdis is the residence. But the presence, the presence of God in heaven is infinitely greater. So here's what's going to happen. That base of Megdis is going to descend. The base of Megdis in heaven is going to descend to this place, right? Become physicalized. That's what's going to happen. That's the third base of Migdash. It is a base of Migdash in what's called Oilim Yitzira, in the heaven, right? Where all the angels reside. That's the base of Migdash we're going to have here. But the incredible thing, if that's the case, that means the divine presence in the base of Migdash, Lamaila, is going to be the divine presence here. Could you believe what that means? Could you imagine the intensity of the divine presence in the base of Migdash in the Milo here? I will tell you what it is. <coughs> because it says, Kimolo Oretz Deo, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. How? That's the divine presence of the base of Migdash in heaven. That's why. What you're looking at is the messianic light. And that Shechina is beyond belief. And that will be the third base Amigdash. The upper one will become the lower one with the same amount of divine presence. And therefore the earth will be the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters covers the seabed. That's what it is. It's the messianic light. And we have no concept of what that is. I'm telling you now, we have absolutely no concept. And there's a very interesting Gemara. It's Masech Sasheni, and it happens to be Yerushalmi. It says the following. The Gemara brings proof that the Beis HaMikdash will be built before Mashiach ben David comes. Before, not after. Everybody's saying, well, the Mashiach ben David, and he's going to build the Beis HaMikdash. No. The Gemara brings proof, actual proof, that the Beis HaMikdash above, is, or below, I should say, which is the one from above, is going to be built before Mashiach ben David. What does that mean? That's Mashiach ben Yosef. Right. Uh, the one Mashiach ben Yosef, when he comes, right, he's going to build the second, the third Pesach And I believe that's the way God is going to wake up. He's going to change the consciousness in a way which we cannot even begin to understand of every Jew on the planet. Because Kimolod's there. The world is filled with the knowledge of God. That's exactly what happens. Your consciousness changes. Right? Because the presence of God is there. And that's what it means that God will enter. Right? From there, I will redeem you. Right? I will gather you. But how? how that means God has to go to every place there are Jews. Right? Even in Iceland, wherever they are. How? And the answer is, because could you imagine... The, the papers of the next day, when the Beis Hamikdash is standing where the mosque was, can you imagine what the New York, you know, the Times and saying, unbelievable, the Jews are the real people. Uh, they are the chosen people. Everybody's going to realize that. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. Everybody that is an anti-Semite that made the Jews suffer is going to hire a psychiatrist. Because they realized, uh-oh, God's coming after us because they know what the truth is and they know what they did. How they persecuted, pained Jews and so on. <clears throat> but I believe this is the way it 
certainly could happen. Uh, like I say, the Gemara says that the third base of Mikdash will be built before Mashiach ben David, which is an astounding concept, which means the era of Mashiach ben Yosef. So, what it looks like is this. Biden will fall. The Congress will fall. It will become conservative, Republican, or whatever. <clears throat> and that'll stop Biden, although he will continue to try. And I hope that the, when the decree ends, that God will destroy the, Repub the uh, Democratic Party because they have destroyed, they have corrupted America and they have destroyed the world because America is the beacon. I write, and they are due for an unbelievable oinish. The tragedy is that some of the main people of the Democratic Party are Jews. It's incredible. Why? Because that's the era of Rav. You think there's only era of Rav in Israel? No. There's Schumer, Adam Schiff, right? There are many Jews in America that are the era of Rav. Same thing. Except they hang out with Esau, not with, uh, with Israel. You see, uh, so that is what's going to happen. And I want to tell you this, which is very interesting, and I will end with this Zoya. <clears throat> the Zoya says, uh, the Gemara says, that the world will last until the year 6000, Ilm Hazeh, this world. That is the English year 2240, right? 2240, which is approximately 218 years from now. Right? That's what it is. So here's what the Zoya says. That Chiyas HaMesim, the resurrection of the dead, will begin 210 years before the end. Before the end. That means if you take 2240 and you subtract 210, you come up with the year 2030. That's less than eight and a half years from now. Now, Chiyas <clears throat> HaMesim is when Mashiach ben David comes. So look what has to happen before, between now and I believe Trump has to get back. The Democratic Party has to be destroyed. Right? Mashiach ben Yosef appears and he begins to elevate the Jews. Right? The Beis Hamikdash comes. Then there's a war of Goy Gomogoy, which I won't get into. Right? And then there's Mashiach ben David and Tchiesa Mason, all in less than eight and a half years. Now you wonder why there's such incredible acceleration? It's unbelievable. Every day there's something new coming out of Washington. Every day there's something new coming out. You know? I mean, before you know it, like I say, there's Ukraine, right? There's China, there's Russia, there's Iran, right? They want to build a bomb. Then the Israeli government collapses. Right? Like, what's happening here? You know, your head spins after a while uh, in terms of what's happening. Why? Because God is accelerating the process. That's really what's happening, which is fortunate for us. And that's the period of time that we live in, uh, you see. Now, Chazal refer to the Messianic, or right before the Messianic era, as Chevle Leido, as it's like a woman about to give birth. Right before that, right, it's the birth pangs of a woman. That's the pain that will, people will suffer in the Messi before the Mashiach comes, right? And what, what does that mean? Could you imagine the infant, right, inside? That's its world. Everything is great. 
I get fit on time, right? I don't have to make a demand, right? I got a great cook, right? It's soft in here. I swim all day, right? I get exercise all day. It's phenomenal. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, the body turns its the child around and its head is pointed down. And all of a sudden, all, uh, forgive my language, all hell breaks loose, right? It's dying. Its head is being squeezed, right? And it thinks it's dying. Hey, what happened to the Hilton Hotel I was in before? Uh, right? And all of a sudden, it pops out, and it's in a world that it can't believe. It cannot even imagine such a world where it was before. That's why it's called Hevle Leida, the birth pangs, right, of birth. Because the difference between now and the Messianic era, if you think you have an inkling, you are incredibly mistaken. And I will tell you one chazal. In the Medrash Rabbah, at the end of Kohelas, here's what it says. Uh, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is everything we know, it's Bavli, Yushalmi, Medrash, Mechilta, Chuvas, everything. So the Medrash says that this Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is everything we have, is Hevel, Luft, air, compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. Air. It's not even a substance. That's how little it is. It's surface. The real Torah of the Mashiach is something, that's what it means, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. We cannot even imagine what that is. This is what it says. When the Mashiach comes, it's not just, well, there's no more anti-Semitism, and now everybody's rich, and so on. That's nothing. What happens is reality changes to reflect the presence of God. And we cannot imagine what that is. We cannot. Even if you tried, and this is the Messianic era. And then the Medrash continues and says, and the Torah of the Mashiach is Hevel, air, compared to the Torah of the future world. Do you believe what this is? We cannot even begin to understand. And I can just give you one real example that it happened. How? In 1890, science thought they had everything figured out. For those who are familiar with the history of science. Yeah, we have, the only thing that's missing is details. Right? That's 1890. Could you imagine between 1890 and what we know now, 2000, right, 22? It's a joke. You're talking about quantum, right, relativity. You're talking about what? <clears throat> CAT scans, MRIs, you're talking about smartphones, computers, digital. I mean, it's not the same existence in 1890 as there is now. So we see that there is in wait for us unbelievable wisdom. And this is going to be the same thing in Mashiach. We cannot even begin to imagine what the messianic light will reveal. Unfortunately, uh, it takes time and the Sutton's Right? Complaint. Right? They don't deserve this. That is why there is so much suffering that God has to bring, just like he brought the suffering in Egypt. So let us hope that this year, right, uh, we will be rid of all these Rishoyim, murderers, that's really what they are. When they bought a child, kill a kid, right up to the time of birth. And there's some crazies that say you can kill a kid within the first 24 hours after birth. 
All you have to do is consult with your doctor. You're talking about legal murder, right? Uh, this is where they're up to, you know? But even if not, up to this point of birth, you can murder your kid? What, are you out of your mind? You see? And then what's going on with gender fluidity, with incredible sexual perversion, it's like the whole world has gone mad. But you now know. Because what God is doing is allowing evil to have its full due. That's justice. You can have your full due. And then he wants to show also that they will destroy themselves. That when you let evil do what it wants to do, ultimately destroys itself. So, let's hope that this year we're going to see the Mashiach, right? And we will all finally be redeemed into a world that is so sublime that we cannot even begin to imagine what it is. Thank you. Any questions? <clears throat> How does Iran fit into this whole big picture? They are such a terrible threat to Earth's Israel. <clears throat> if the Rev could just repeat the question, I don't, know if, I don't know if the microphone picked it up. Well, the question is, how will Iran fit into this? And the answer is, there is a medrash, it's a Yalkut, that says the following. It says, in the end of days, or in the week, in the week that Mashiach bin Dovid comes, it doesn't mean the week, but it means in the Shemitah cycle. And we, by the way, are in a Shemitah year. And the Gemara says that the Mashiach will come at the end of Shemitah, four months, whatever. It says there that Iran, Poras, is going to wage a war against Arabia. It says it's the Medrash that was written 2,000 years ago. It's going to wage a war against Arabia. Arabia is going to seek counsel with Edoim, America, okay? And then it says that Iran will begin to destroy the world. Interesting. And Israel, right, will, won't know what to do. And they go back and forth saying, what do we do? And all of a sudden, a baskol, a divine voice will come out, is what the Medrash says, and says, uh, <coughs> The time of your redemption has arrived. And then God will step in and wipe them out. In other words, the war between Iran and Israel, of which there will be, is the last war, according to that medrash, because Iran is poros. You see, uh, and they are the end. That is the last war, you see. Now, if you looked at that medrash 2,000 years ago, you said, huh, Iran? You looked at it today, Iran can't do anything. But Iran is becoming nuclear. That itself, that medrash predicts that Iran will have the capacity to destroy the world. And that's why they will become nuclear. Uh, you see, so there's going to be a terrible confrontation between Israel and Iran. Here in Israel? In Israel, yes. Yeah. And uh, everybody's, everybody knows that. And now with that crazy Biden who is sponsoring, right? He's desperate to have some type of recognition. That's really what it's about, right? He's allowing Iran to do its thing, even though he knows. These guys are sworn to destroy the Middle East because they are Shiites, and Shiites want to take over Islam, you know? So how in the world can you do this? But he is, because that's who he is. You see, <clears throat> you know, I find it interesting, when Zelensky decided to join NATO, you know who told him to do it? Or who advised him that's okay? Biden. 
He went to Biden and said, can you help me get into NATO? And Biden said, of course. Are you crazy? You want to defy Putin and start a war with this guy? Yeah, that's because that's who Biden is. It's unbelievable. And of course, Putin said, is that what you want to do? He'll wipe him out. And that's what he's doing. He's wiping out Ukraine. I don't care what they do. You see? But that's what the story of Iran. Iran is the end, the last war. Yes. Rabbi, Rabbi I did hear that, I'm not sure which Godel said it, that really this war that <clears throat> in Syria is the, 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 really the war between Israel and Iran, but Hashem's doing a chesed and it's happening in Syria. So. I don't know if that's true. It may be true. I'm not in any way saying no. But um, in the Medrash does not say Syria. And Syria was known in the time, Gemara brings down Syria. No, but it's, it's a proxy. It's a war with Iran. Yes, it is. Outside the land of Israel as a chesed. Yes, but you have to remember one thing. The value that Iran has with proxies is that they can hide what they're doing. So you don't blame me. Go, go, go to Hezbollah, right? But meanwhile, it's a proxy and it allows them to conceal themselves. In fact, if you really want to think about it, right, God wants Iran, in a certain sense, to have the bomb. So you know what he did? He, made, he fooled, he fooled uh, Bush. Bush thought the enemy was Iraq, Saddam Hussein. So he never warred with Iran. Instead, he warred with Iraq. But that was a diversion because if America wars with Iraq, they're going to leave Iran alone to make the bomb. You see? It was a diversion. This whole Iraqi, and in the end, uh, Saddam Hussein didn't have anything, if you remember and so on. Because what God did is he put in the mind of Bush, attack Iraq, but leave Iran alone, because I need them to get the bomb so they could be the last war. Very interesting the way God works. Yes? Um, two questions. I, I wanted sure. to know also how China comes into play, because someone, I've I heard many times that the Zohar talks about the uh, army being out of the Far East. I don't know the whole the source or anything, but something in China. <laughs> And also anything with, when you hear the world order, with a few big people or countries trying to unite like the whole world towards evil and having a power over all. Yes. In the end of time, this is the climate, right? What is the atmosphere in the end of time which defies God? And the answer to that, right, is what's called in Hebrew, which you'll all appreciate, Parikas oil to overthrow the yoke. All of everything that you're looking at, right? The, uh, the LGBTQs, the transsexuals, you know, uh, and, and uh, all of that corruption, the crime in all the cities, right? Biden doing these crazy things, right? The Democratic Party, and it includes China and Russia. All of them want to defy God because they're all going against the natural order and the natural values of mankind. And that's all it is. God is allowed to satisfy justice because one of the things that the Sultan says is, wait a minute, what about my guys? The evil guys, you know? The good guys are sitting all over the place. So why should my guys, right, rule? So God says, okay. So all these people are ruling because that satisfies justice. It's called giving, giving evil its due. And China is merely part of uh, Yefes. That's all. Uh, it's part of the evil of mankind, right, that wants to overthrow God. 
That's what, what's his name, uh, uh, Chi, right? That's all he wants to do. Guy's a megalomaniac, you know? And he, he, God, who knows what they're doing in China? They murder people and so on, you know? The, the, uh, the, the purpose or the climate in the end is a complete rebellion against God and his values. It's really what all this is, uh, you see, you know? China is part of that as one of the nations of the world, which is really Yefes, because he's not Ishmael, and so on. And that's really China, and you have Russia, Russia's actually Edom, Asaph, the worst part of Asaph. I mentioned Asaph has three parts and so on, you know. But that's all. They're all part of the climate of open rebellion against everything that God commanded. Uh, you see? So in that sense, <coughs> it's the Memteshai Tumah. We live in a world that is the 49th level, maybe the 50th. Mm -hmm. People say, we're not 49, we're 50. You know, because when you constitutionalize LGBTQ homosexuality, you've reached the 50th. You see? And that's the restart button. You are looking at the restart button, which I said was Trump, and very shortly there will be Mashiach ben Yosef. And he's going to change everything. And that's the beginning of the process. But remember, when that process starts, means when the, the turnaround begins to go up, right? It is irreversible and irrevocable. That's the good news. Before that, it could be stopped by merits. But once God had decided be'itoi in its time, it is irrevocable and irreversible. It cannot be stopped. And that's what we are waiting for. You see, but remember, you are looking at a time that the climate of this world is complete rebellion against God in every which way. Anything else? Yeah. I have two questions. Um, you had mentioned that um, Trump was a like a Messiah kind of a figure. He's a messianic figure, correct? Of Edom. He's not Jewish. Uh, right? But he's the, he's the... What is a Messiah? A Savior. What? A Savior. No, he's an anointed one. Moshiach means anointed. He's designated to do a tremendous global job. I'll tell you something shocking. Who is the Mashiach of the Satan? You know that? He had a Mashiach. The Satan. Right? Our guy. He had a Messiah. Who was he? Who represented the Satan that did one of the greatest evil of all time? Hitler. Hitler's a messianic figure, but of course he's not a messiah the way we think of it. But a messiah simply means somebody who is anointed to do a major job. You had three people who did that. You had Hitler, you had Mao Tse, who killed 75 million Chinese, starved them to death, right? And you had Stalin. These are the three greatest evil of people besides the Roman emperor, emperors Caligula and all these other jokers and so on, right? Uh, but they, you know, it's, it's, it sounds strange, but you don't realize uh, these are messianic figures because they are anointed, they are designated to do a major job in the world. Of course, the real Mashiach, he's also an anointed one, but he brings down the presence of God. He's the anointed one. So Messiah simply means anointed. For what task? You see. So that's what I'm saying. 
Thank you for the clarification. The second question is, you had mentioned with possibly Mashiach coming either this year with Shemitah. Yeah. Because uh, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that the Mashiach comes at the end of Shemitah, which is what? Three months? Yeah. But then you had mentioned about... 2030? About 2030. Ah, so what it means, uh, because the Mashiach Ben Yosef is a process. He's a real person. But he doesn't just appear. I mean, if you want to wait five minutes, I'll tell you what it is. Right? That's a long shear. But just to fill you in, oh, who is the Messiah? Not who it is, yes. what his name is. I'm not going to tell you that. But the, the real interesting is what kind of a person is he? And the interesting idea is this. <clears throat> the Mashiach is somebody that you would never recognize. And there's a whole medrash that he suffers for the sins of the Jews terribly. Uh, in fact, what does he become? So there's a pok, a posik in Isaiah, Yeshayahu, Nunbez, toward the end. And here's what it says. Hine Yaskil Avdi. Behold, my servant will grow wise. Who's God's servant? Uh, so there's a, a difference of opinion. Most people hold it's the Jewish people. But the Targum says it's the Messiah himself. And it says, Hine Yaskalavdi, behold my servant will grow wise, right? Viyorum. And he will grow exalted. Venisa. And he will become exceedingly high. Vagovamioid. Three expressions of growth. That's what it says. So the Medrash asks, why does it refer to the Messiah three ways of growth? So listen to this. He starts off. Avdi, my servant, he starts off, not literally but figuratively, in prison. He has terrible suffering. He's in Golis, just like Moshe Rabbeinu was in Golis for 56 years. But when he's released, the Yoram, he will be great. What does that mean? He will be greater than Avram Avinu. Not bad. Venisa, and he will be exalted, he will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, listen to what we're talking here, right? And Vigova Mi'oid, he will be greater than the Malachim. This is a man who lives amongst us, who's going to walk around, right? Amongst us. Do you imagine seeing a man that is greater than the Malachim? It's unbelievable. We can't even imagine somebody greater than Avraham Avinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu, forget it. But the Malachim is a medrash. <clears throat> what does that mean? That means the Mashiach is the most dangerous man in the universe. He is. Why? Because if you go over to this guy, you will drop dead from his Kiddusha. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu. Remember he had a mask? You couldn't even look at his face. You could not look at the Kiddusha of Moshe Rabbeinu. You, same thing, you cannot look at the Kiddusha of the Mashiach. So the problem is, if he comes, he's going to kill everybody. Think about that. But fortunately, he starts off, right, at zero. Because he's a prisoner. He suffers for the sake of the Jewish people. Therefore, he's going to appear as a regular guy. But his potential is beyond belief. And then he will be released 
and he will grow. And at the same time that he grows, the Jewish people will grow with him. That's the incredible thing. And that's what God says, and I will take you to me. I Means somehow God is going to elevate every single Jew to be an unbelievable Talmud Chochem. Just like it happened in Egypt, right? By Har Sinai. It's incredible. In order to survive the Mashiach, or as he kills you, right? Uh, so every Jew will grow to a tremendous extent. Now, how that happens is unknown. But it's also coming off that Pasuk, where, like I said, you know, that the Mashiach will grow, and we will grow with him so we can survive. That's why God has to change the Jewish people. God is not going to bring the Mashiach to the Jewish people that are in the 49 levels of Tumah, even though he did that by Moshe Rabbeinu. He had to because he was afraid to fall into the 50th. But in any case, and therefore he's going to elevate the Jew. But that's who the Mashiach is. Could you imagine? Greater than Avraham Avinu, greater than Moshe Rabbeinu, and greater than Michoel Hamalach, Gavriel. Who can imagine what that is? And he's a human being, right? Uh, that's what the redemption is. We are looking at a time when we cannot imagine the greatness of every Jew. Yeah, you won't even be able to recognize yourself. You won't. You don't realize what you will be. That's the redemption. That's the final redemption. And since you say this, I have to tell you this. I was once, I live in Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh, so I was parked in a bank's parking lot, right? I wanted to go into the bank, whatever. Meanwhile, I was, gonna, I was just gonna wait till it opened, whatever. I turned on the radio, right? And all of a sudden I hear this unbelievable screaming and clapping. Because there was a guy, I think his name is Rivera. He's a relief pitcher. Apparently he's phenomenal. I, mean, I'm, I don't follow this stuff, so. But I think his name is Rivera. Right? But something with Re Rivera. <coughs> Anybody here who knows baseball? Mariano Rivera. What? Yeah. What's his name? Mar That's him. Mariano Rivera. Anyway, so they were sending him off. He was retiring, right? And he was in a stadium. I don't know what stadium, but the, there was like 40,000, 50,000 people in that stadium, right? To send them off, right? And they were screaming at the top of their lungs. So I s heard that, and I said to myself this. I said, could you believe a guy's a relief picture, a picture? Big deal, right? Okay, it's nice, right? It's baseball. If you're into baseball, I understand, right? But in the value, the ultimate worth of things, who cares? Can you imagine when the tikkun will be complete and the Jews will have done the tikkun? You are going to see not a stadium. You are going to see the entire creation screaming at the top of their lungs. The Jews did it. They did the tikkun. And God can re-enter creation. You know, that's what I took away from Mariano Rivera, right? And that's what's going to happen, you know? That all the malachim, the billions of malachim are going to scream at the top of their lungs. The Jews did it. Could you imagine what you're going to feel like? Because you're part of that. That's it. Okay, one more question, and that's it. Rav have thoughts on who Elon Musk is? Because notably, he went to a Jewish school. Uh, he did? He 
did. There was in South Africa. In South Africa, for a small amount of time, they didn't have a private school. I don't know who he is. And he's the richest man in the world. And yes. it was on Pesach that he announced the Twitter deal, which is now blowing up Twitter, and he's defiant against the lefties. Yes. Well, look, he's clearly, I mean, part of what's called the good people. That's what I see, you know, because he really wants to do good by changing Twitter, allowing that to be a platform for good stuff and so on. But I, I don't know who he is. I can just tell you who Trump is. I haven't thought about Elon Musk, you know. <laughs> so who's Jeff Bezos? Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, but I tell you one thing, guys, worth what? Uh, $200 billion, it's just beyond belief. Who these guys are the Gilgal of, I don't know, you know? I'm still trying to figure out who Biden is in Gilgal, who the reincarnation of Biden is, you know? Who knows? Yeah? I, no, wait, you want to say? Yeah, I want to say something. You want to ask, God, ask it? What? Later, but what I want to understand is that uh, Hashem created war, war with the... Uh, he, he created what? Crea created war and everything, creation. Everything, for, yeah. For purpose. Of so what he, purpose? All right. Well, uh, I'm not, I'm <clears throat> so you can choose to do good and therefore bring him back. That's the short answer. You have free will. God wants you to do good, the mitzvot. And that will enable him to re-enter creation from which he has absented himself. That's a simple, clear, bottom line answer. Okay, I don't want to go further because it's, uh, it's a whole, it's many. In fact, the next lecture, oh yeah, oh, uh, God promises, yes. In Shimon Esri, what does it say in the first bracha? Well, maybe girl, and he will bring a redeemer the man be Ava for his great name's sake. He's going to do it. He promised. He swore that he's going to redeem the Jews. And we know that. That means in the end, it's going to happen. It's got to happen. Anyway. Right, so what, uh, uh, what I wanted to say is that all what you, uh, your, uh, uh, your uh, reason and factor is... Uh, About what? What, uh, what all your references? You're referring to old classical materials, Okay. What you're suggesting is to stay here for another five hours. I can't do that. Yeah, I need another five hours. Right. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. Either way, also he has a YouTube channel, Torah Talking, that has uh, about 400 shirim, some audio, some video. If you want to read it, you have to go to the website, .org, Torah Thinking, Torah Thinking org. And uh, he also has a Facebook page where all the links to all this stuff
Yeah. And I'm also on YouTube. Yeah, a lot of people watch me on YouTube. Oh, and this this year is going to be on Yibona. Okay. So uh, we're going to link it to Yibona and so on, but uh, so you can hear this whole year again. What was the buzzer music? What? What what is the question for me? And I think for all the, all who listen should be. What is our uh, part in this process? And what is the uh, our part? Our part is this. I will tell you what the Raivad says, that the essential repentance on Yom Kippur, what is it? And that's what happens to be today, is what is this? Uh, it's not that God counts sins. That's not what he's after, okay? God is not, con he's concerned obviously, but that's not what he really is after. Right? Sinning. Do you do tshuva, you repent. And he's also not, you know, it, it, that's not what he's after. What God wants to know, are you part of the team or not? You'll notice by the sin of the golden calf. Right? They sinned with the golden calf. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say, well, all those people who didn't sin with the golden calf, me Lashem, a lie. He says, who's the God? Come to me. He didn't say, all those who didn't do the golden calf or, or regret that, come to me. No, he never referred to the golden calf. What did he say? Who is to God? Which means, who are you committed to? Are you a member of the club? Great. And if you fall once in a while, it happens. That's not God is what, is, God, what God is looking for. He wants you to join the club, which means to be committed to doing the Torah and mitzvahs. That's what he wants. If you sin, fine. Not that it's fine, but you do tshuva. But that's not what he's looking for. So the rival Rabbi Avram ben David, who argues with the Rambam, famous, that's what he says. The critical thing on Yom Kippur is God looks, who is on my team to do the mitzvahs and to learn the Torah? That's the key. And not, well, he did five sins. No, we all sin. Right? What he wants to know, are you me, Lashem, a lie? Who is to God? Come to me. That's what he wants. You see? Very important concept. That's what you have to do. <laughs>